When you start watching this movie, you'll think to yourself, I didn't know Samuel L. Jackson and Nick Cage were in a movie together. And when you finish watching this movie, you'll think, I wish I didn't know that Samuel L. Jackson and Nick Cage were in a movie together. Because we watched Amos and Andrew, and we're here to talk to y'all about it. <laughs> what do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! Interesting choice of words. What is that? What is that? What is that? Oh, no, not the beard! Not the beard! Oh. <laughs> oh I'm a pixie bear! <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's run. This is the unbearable fate of massive talent. I'm Brittany Green, and I'm here with... Liz Kurtzman. And uh, let's talk about Amos and Andrew. If we must. We have to, because that's the podcast. (laughs) Well, I didn't sit through that. I didn't pay $4 to watch that for nothing, so. We're going to get some content out of this, at least. (laughs) If I had to suffer, you all have to suffer, too. I mean, yeah. I hope this podcast is better than the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Really low bar, I hope. I hope that this episode of this podcast is better than that very racist movie we just watched. Uh, Speaking of, what was this rated? This was, I. it was rated PG, rated R or PG-13? I don't remember. PG-13. But. For swearing and violence and what else? Blackface. <laughs> when that came up on the screen, like, oh, we both went, oh no. <laughs> Like, I had read the summary of this movie. We usually talk a little bit about if we've seen these movies before. I have mm-hmm. not seen this movie. I've just read the summary of every Nicolas Cage movie because uh, in preparation for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I knew this movie was going to be racist because it's yeah. about race. Yeah. Um, But I don't think I was fully prepared for how cringy this movie is. Yes. Yeah, like, I figured it would be racially insensitive because it was made in 1993 and is almost all white people. Um, and I thought, this isn't going to be well done. But I, the, oof, it was, cringy is the right word. It it was just a lot of scenes that were supposed to be, like, very comedic where we were just sitting in tense silence. Like, this isn't. It wasn't funny. It, it wasn't funny. There was, like two funny things. There's a couple movie. like moments of cuz there are a lot of really good actors in this film. Yeah. You I mean like you've got character actors like Dabney Coleman and um uh the guy that plays the lawyer is in a ton of stuff. Ton of stuff. Um Giancarlo Esposito? Is that right? Giancarlo yes. Esposito? Yeah. He's in it. Um my dude, Michael uh, Lerner is the lawyer. That's who I was trying to think okay. of. Okay. And I just blanked, even though I was the one who... Oh, Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif's in it, who plays probably the, the one of the worst parts in the film. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. He's, he's yeah. who brings the blackface into yeah, he's it. Yeah, the, he's the blackface guy. Um, yeah, and so they're, they're all... They're good actors who are just... They have a really rough script. And there's a couple comedic, like, physical comedy moments. Um... I did think the megaphone thing was pretty funny. The megaphone thing was funny. Um, yeah, but other than that, and then, you know, obviously my MVP of this movie was the dog. Yeah, the dog was a great actor. Impeccable work. Impeccable. Absolutely. A true professional. Um, 
But yeah, other than that, it's pretty rough to sit through. Yeah. I don't think any of the actors in particular... It was the script. Yes. Yeah. No, they were doing their best, but... Well, they were mostly doing their best. With Samuel Jackson was just getting the paycheck. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't have a funny character. He also was playing very much the straight man, to the point where he didn't really have any funny No, he was never funny in this movie. No. Which is a shame, because, you know... He's He's Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. He can can deliver funny things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think... (sighs) Yeah, I think, I mean, I think intentionally he was never funny in this movie. Yes. And I want, I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but I do want to talk about that because I feel like that was their... Oh, God. This is a serious person. We need to take him seriously. Yes. (laughs) Yes, like they, I think it was their, the, the writer's attempt at being, like, we're not going to laugh at the black character, but they do. But they do with the protesters. Like, that yes. was definitely supposed to be played for laughs. Exactly. Of, like, how much they, I guess, overreacted to the whole situation. Yes. Um. Yeah, no, it felt like there were sort of three different movies that got put together. Because there were this, like, the, the, all the cops were these, like, bumbling Dukes of Hazard esque you know, like, idiots who are fumbling around and, you mm-hmm. know, being stupid. And then you have, like, Amos, both Nick Cage and, and Samuel Jackson were playing pretty straight. Like, there's a couple, like, Nick Cage was over the top, but his character, I think most of their scenes were a little more serious. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it just was different tonally from the comedy that was happening with the cops yes and then you also had like the thing with the uh the neighbors felt like they belonged in the cops' weird slapstick movie yeah the neighbors were definitely there for comedy yeah as <laughs> so we, we we know this because they uh were into bdsm and that's always hilarious and that's always hilarious but perverts always, always. um yeah, so it just felt like a bunch of different tonally movies that they tried to stick together that, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend. No. <laughs> no, it was really bad. If, I, if I'd been in the room, I would have said, hey, guys, <laughs> don't, what if we don't do this? Don't do this movie. Uh, and, I mean, like, the movie starts with Sam Jackson coming in on this ferry, and, you know, that it, it's this idea, like, Beyond main, the Sea is playing. Beyond the Sea is playing. Um, it's this, this island up in Maine. No, Massachusetts. Sorry, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um. New England. New England. Um, he gets this beautiful big house. He's bought this house and he's just moving there. And the neighbors uh, don't know that the, that the people had moved out and he bought it. Yeah, because this is, everybody's in summer homes up here. Yeah, they're all sort of rich, as they say, the rich liberals. Um, rich white liberals. And I mean, like, from the go, we saw a lawn jockey statue out there, and yeah. we were like, okay. <laughs> this is already bad. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, he's obviously, like, doing very well for himself, and they're showing you that with, like, all of him, his nice car, his, he's got, he's got a car phone. In 1993. Yeah. That's money. That's very fancy. Mm-hmm. And he talks to his wife, who's coming over later. We don't see her. Um, we don't really know anything about him at this point, other than he obviously mm-hmm. has money. Yep. And, Car phone um, moving into a new giant house. 
Yes, and they contrast it with Nick Cage's character, Amos Odell, who has been arrested uh, and is in the jail of this, like, small town sheriff's office. Yeah, and we later find out that he was arrested because he was trying to change a bunch of small bills into Canadian money, which is not a crime. No. No. But we also... Or was he arrested? Because he also makes reference to the fact they caught him with an underage girl. And he said she looked 18. Maybe. And I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, there's if a he creepy was arrested, thread throughout this whole thing. It is so, it's so gross. creepy. It's so gross. Um, yeah, because that's the other problem is that Amos is genuinely like a pretty gross person. Yes. And they're trying to, like, make him the scrappy, but, like, oh, he comes around and isn't Yeah, are we supposed to be sympathetic with a pedophile in this movie? Because I think, It sure feels like that's what... I sure think we are. I mean, we sat through that Sea Monkeys monologue. Like, didn't you feel for him after that? Oh, God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, the... Oh, I don't know what he was arrested for. I hope it was for hitting on an underage girl. Um, No, but I think he was arrested because he had those small bills and he thought he was in Canada and he had guns in the trunk suspicious but like how would they know that he had guns in the trunk I think that the cops got called because of the money at the bank and him trying to change it into Canadian money yeah I guess so which is would that happen oh listen (laughs) I don't know I mean like this is like a white guy this is a white dude he's pretty scuzzy looking he's scuzzy looking but Um, uh, and it does sound like they probably, because he looks the way he does, and he was doing suspicious stuff, they ran him and found he was wanted for yeah. all these, like, small crimes. Um, because that is clear, is that yeah. after they get in there, like, you're wanted for all these things across state lines. But they're all, like, petty crimes. Yes. Um, and he's got, like, he's got tattoos and gold teeth. One of his tattoos is, I don't believe it's the right color billiard. Right? It's just a black and white tattoo, so I'll let that one pass. Okay, and it's got four, like a four on the billiard, and underneath says play. Four uh, play. Isn't that clever? Anyway. So charming. <laughs> yeah, so they're contrasting, like, Sam I Jackson's... I think the tattoo on his other arm might actually be Nicolas Cage's tattoo. Is it, was it the Flaming Skull one? I think it was. Because we never saw it fully. No, we never saw it fully, but I think that might be his real tattoo. I don't think the foreplay one Do is... you think he has a foreplay tattoo? <laughs> I mean, now I really hope so. It was a... I, unfortunately, I don't think that's his, because I'm pretty sure I've seen that arm's tattoos. Maybe we got it covered up because it's tacky. <laughs> He got it for this film. <laughs> and then covered it up. And then he got a salamander wearing a top hat over the top of it. Oh, that's a great change. That would be Well, a, he does a... have, like, the lizard. It's not a salamander. It's, like, a lizard with a top hat. Yeah. In, I fully support that In real that life, tattoo. he has. Yeah. Don't get foreplay tattoos. Get lizard tattoos. <laughs> Especially lizard top hat tattoos. Especially if they have formal wear. That's not tacky. No! Not at all. That's, um, sophisticated. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so basically this is a movie about white people jumping to conclusions. Yes. <laughs> and those conclusions that's, I think that's the summary of the whole movie podcast over. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, white people jump into racist conclusions. 
Um, because basically what happens is these two white people, the old lawyer and his young trophy, I can't call her trophy wife because she has the worst haircut. She is much younger than him. And she's much younger than him. We know that she's at least wife three. Yes. She has like that information makes it seem like she's a trophy wife, but you need to know that her appearance, she has like a, like a seventies bowl cut. Yeah. Like a a little boy. She has a bowl cut, and then she wears this, like, loose-fitting striped shirt that also makes her look like a little boy uh, the whole movie. And so um, that was an odd choice. But they're walking their beautiful dog, um, and they see a car sitting in front of um, Andy Andrew's new house. And so they go, oh, so-and-so are back. We got to go say hi. And they don't see that there's a sold sign out front. And they... Look in the windows, uh, like some creeps, and Sam Jackson's in there setting up a stereo system. And of course, they assume that he has broken into the house and is stealing all of their neighbors' things. So they call the police. Um, and from there on, it's just you know the police all show up. All like seven of them show up. Um, the big plot point is that the sheriff, who's played by Dabney Coleman is uh up for re-election and so that motivates literally everything that happens in this movie mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to look bad because he wants to be re-elected and so like it has night has fallen and they are all staked out in front of the house they have no proof that anyone has broken into this house they have no proof that there's a hostage situation which is what the conclusion they've jumped to and so one of them sets off the car alarm. Sam Jackson comes out to turn off the car alarm. And they think that that uh, car remote is a gun. Yes. Tell him to put his hands up. He does. And then they start shooting at him. And this scene is supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be That a was comedic. definitely played for laughs. Yes. And because they literally... empty like a, a hundred rounds into the house. But they He's literally crawling. empty an on. Hundred rounds into an unarmed dude. Yes. yes, and it is played for laughs. Like the car alarms going off the whole time. Um, this is the actually before this is the blackface part. Oh yeah, because Brad Dourif's character, who's just like a deputy, it's nighttime. It's nighttime, so he rubs all this dirt on his face so he looks like he has blackface and like when he stands up all the other cops and the sheriff are just staring at him and he goes it's it's to blend in with the nighttime it's a night operation yes um again supposed to be hilarious um yeah so he has blackface on at uh, through this whole scene and so, honestly yeah, they, through most of the movie, most of the movie this, character, this character has blackface on because he, t- he takes it off and then puts it back on later yeah. um and so, yeah, they sh- the Sam Jackson is crawling across the porch, um, trying to get into his house. They're shooting up everything. And, of course, it's supposed to be, like, first the one guy shoots on accident. And then everyone is just, like, panicking and, like, shooting. And um, the then, then he gets inside and somehow doesn't get shot. And then they shoot up the car so that the car alarm will stop. And this whole sequence was just like the two of us are just sitting in dead silence dead watching silence. my this. mouth was open i'm just... like i oh uh, i know 
this is supposed to be like a a police academy esque hilarious misunderstanding. Yes, and it was not funny. Um, and it just yeah. So that happens, and then um, they uh, what happens next? They get the phone company to oh. get them a line into the house because yes. the phones are not working. We actually see Samuel L. Jackson trying to call out to get help. Which I guess was because they hit, he just hadn't he had set just it up. just moved in. It hadn't right. been set up yet. But the police get a phone line into the house so that they can call and they get Samuel L. Jackson's character on the phone and they're talking to him and then they find out that it's not the home of the people they thought it was the home of. That mm-hmm. it's actually the home of... Andrew Sterling, who is a very famous playwright, scholar, and just general mm-hmm. celebrity, I think. Before we get to that, I just want to point out, and then this, yeah, when he, they're having that conversation on the phone, there is, like, this farce sort of moment where, like, Sam Jackson is described, because he didn't know the cops were shooting at him. He just knew people were shooting at him from the woods. And so he's going on about, like, oh, someone's shooting and at he me. Thought, he thought there was only one person, which is which crazy. Is because he was getting shot at from so many different angles. Yes. And with, like, seven different guns. I guess if it was a machine gun. Maybe he thought someone with a machine gun was out Maybe. there. Because um, he's describing this person shot at me and had a gun. And the sheriff thinks he's the house owner talking about the black man who had a gun who they were shooting at. And halfway through the conversation... The cop realizes what's going on uh, and is like, wait. And this part was very funny to me because he goes, Andrew yeah. Sterling, why do I know that name? And, and someone, he talks to the reporter the guy. The reporter's like, oh, it's the famous playwright. And if there's one thing I know he about him. He didn't know him, anything about him. He didn't know anything. The only thing he knew about him was that he was a black man. Yes. <laughs> he's was, very famous. I don't remember what he's famous for, but I know one thing. He's, he's black. He's is black. exactly what he said. Yep. Yeah, that is, yep, that's the only thing they knew. Which um, is crazy. Do you know any <laughs> famous people where you're like, the only thing I know about this famous person is their race? Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's the famous white And that's man. what I'm going to say in this conversation <laughs> about this famous person. The yeah. only thing I know about them is their, is their race. It was such a weird thing to say that when he first it said so it, weird. I thought that he was saying it because he was like, he was the black man on the porch. No, that's not it. He was just, that's the only thing that man knew, and he felt like he had to share that information in that moment. Yeah, maybe if he had seen him, and yes. being like, oh, that's a famous guy. I don't remember what he's famous for, but look, that's a black guy, yeah. and I know that we're after a black guy for some reason. Yeah. You know, but that know. wasn't the situation. No, he didn't he was see just him. like, I got one bullet point in my index of this man and that is that he is a black man and <laughs> that bye and walks so, away so stupid um but i'm just he's like, like a- why are you asking that would have been a, a question to bring up in that moment why do you want to know uh this was funny to me for some for obvious reasons but also because it implies he's the only man named Andrew Sterling. In the world. In the world. <laughs> they were just like, Andrew Sterling, what a distinctive name. Who could it be? I only know of one. Um, and to be the- fair, I don't know any other Andrew Sterlings. This is now the only Andrew Sterling I think I know. I know. But if you, years from now, if someone was like Andrew Sterling, you wouldn't be like, hmm, I know one person of that name. You know, it was just like. Yeah. It was a weird, it was a weird exchange. Yes. Then also, when it ends up being 
that we find out later, he's famous because he wrote this play that won a Pulitzer that was turned into a movie. Um, that is almost Oh Brother, Where Out Thou. Because they come from the same thing. Uh, text. Do they come from the same They text? come from Sullivan's Travels. Okay. It, there's the phrase Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is what they named the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, but that came later. Right, yeah. Andrew Sterling did it first. Andrew Sterling did it first. Yo Brother, where art thou? Yo, it I think it was Yo Brother, Where Art Thou. Yep. Um, and so he became famous. But the thing that was really funny to me about this is that so many people knew exactly who he was. And I was like... We did see earlier um, Andrew Sterling when he was in his house by himself listening to Mozart and reading a magazine. He was on the cover of he Forbes. He was on the cover. But, to, but that all these people in this like Massachusetts small town knew who he was? Like Forbes is a big deal. I guess. I just was, as a theater person, like, people who aren't theater people don't know who playwrights are. People would know who, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda was. That's different because he's been in... That People know him because of the Broadway thing, though. Because Hamilton was, like, on TV and on the internet. But people knew Hamilton before it was on But 1993, TV. no one would know... Like, no one knew what my dude who wrote Red look like unless they were theater people people know andrew lloyd webber would they know what he i don't know i still didn't buy it i don't know <laughs> i don't buy i don't buy that people would know because like the other comparison we made was to like august wilson august wilson or james baldwin yes it's it felt like that's sort of who they were basing this character because he's not just a playwright too right he also was a professor uh, scholar, he did other theater things. He could be, like, things. honestly, like, a Maya Angelou type. Yes. He, you know, like... Yeah. I think I went... I went to August Wilson, uh... Because they mentioned Pittsburgh. Because and... they mentioned Pittsburgh. But also because Samuel Jackson worked with August Wilson a right. lot. Um, so I kind of went there. But I just... Outside of, like, theater and academic circles, I just don't feel like people would, like, if you show... If you showed up in a New England town in 1993, and you were like, this is August Wilson, they would be like, who's that? <laughs> Maybe. We also know that like these are very educated people. Not the not necessarily the sheriff, but like the the, the people the, who called the cops. Like the neighbors, I believe would and, know. Yes, because uh, they are like the white liberal rich people. Yeah, white liberal rich people. So I I do believe that they would know who he was. But I guess my problem was that it was all of the cops and this like. And like the down cops on his like press guy, the cops and the press guy knew of him, but they didn't know anything yeah. about him except that he's black. That he's black. So anyway, they realize that they have this very famous black man who they have now shot at and have trapped in his home. Right. And then the press show up, and it's like. Five? And the press don't even know it's Andrew Sterling yet. No, they just know that it's a hostage situation. And that's because the the lawyer guy called them, I think. Yes, because they got high and they were like, "More people should know about them." There's a crazy hostage <laughs> situation going on. on I can't street. believe it's not on TV. But the thing that made me laugh was the idea that there's like five different news crews on this island. Yeah, one of them Spanish speaking in Massachusetts. In 1993. Yeah. That felt very strange. I was like, they all just rolled up at like 10 p.m.? Maybe they're from Boston. Maybe the press is from Boston. Like, Massachusetts fast. is a pretty small Everyone state. moves fast. Everyone moves fast. And we know that later on, those protesters came from probably New York. 
Yes. And they got there in an hour? In an Maybe? hour. Uh, yeah. They were there and gone before Andrew even knew they were there. You yeah, never knew they, never were knew they were there. They yeah. were there for all of like 15 or 20 minutes. It I was think. A, that was insane. And there were hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. Um, so anyway, because they realize they've gotten in this situation, they, their big plan, the sheriff's big plan, I should say, I don't know that the other cops know what's going on. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. Um, I think they're just bumbling around. Um, yeah, and I feel like if they knew what was going on, that later they wouldn't have like called in like all of this backup to help. That's true. Right. Yeah. Um, so the plan is he's going to send Nick Cage in. He makes a deal with, with Amos and he says, you go in, you hold him hostage and then give yourself up and uh we will arrest you and then let you go um but obviously he's going to make sure they both die <laughs> in the chaos which is um, very dark it's really dark they don't make it as dark as that should be no no they don't because it again it's a lot of just like fumbling like keystone cop type deal and then suddenly it's this like dark murderous plot and then when he busts in the house after them and he uses the n-word was so shocking it was and and jarring like i mean the whole movie was racist but to hear him use that word i was just like where what (laughs) where did this okay um yeah you're kind of egging amos on trying to get him to kill samuel jackson's character yes yeah, because I, he wanted him to kill Samuel Jackson so that they could then kill Amos, like, in a rain of gunfire when he comes out or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, Nick Cage is not murderous in this movie. He's just kind of a fuck-up. So most of most of the comedy, or I don't know if comedy is the right word, <laughs> I guess the comedic situation in this film, the setup, that keeps coming back is like just the astonishment that all of these people have that, that this black man has moved into this nice house. Yeah. Because Nick Cage does it when he walks in. Nick Cage is also astonished. He's also just like, this is your house. How, how'd you get this house? Like, how'd you get that watch? Like that's most of the jokes are just like, yeah, this, this happens because like, how could he end up here? And I'm like, ah, man, this is, it's not funny. That's a bummer. <laughs> it's a bummer. This is just a bummer. Um, yeah. And then we did sort of make a joke that this was sort of Get Out, like a precursor to Get Out. It but does like, feel like a precursor to Get Out. It, but in, yeah, but made by white people and featuring mostly white people. This, yeah. This movie was written and directed by the same person and you, who could have guessed? Who could have known? <laughs> Not I. It was a white guy. Yeah. Uh, didn't see that coming. Didn't see that one yeah, coming. Yeah, I think and, I... Uh, yeah. Because this could. is the point where, like, they are talking about, oh, this is when we see Giancarlo Esposito. Yes. He call- So, he... De- Wait, who calls him? Uh, They see it on the news. They see it on the news. He and his wife? This is the thing. They aren't introduced. No, you never know who these people are. We still don't are. know how. I, we get the sense they know each other. Yeah, I think. But they don't explain how. I think it's just supposed to be that they're both black activists. Yes. In New York, I assume. Yeah. Um, And so when he sees on TV that um, uh, Andrew Sterling's house is, is under siege, he's being held hostage, Um, he is like doing, he he's like 
doing his nails and hair and like primping himself and yep. he's like then he calls up the troops well before that he was like i told him that he wouldn't be safe with all those white liberals and that's when i was like is that turns out to be true <laughs> i mean he's right he's right <laughs> it's the one thing this movie does get right <laughs> um and so then he is calling up all of these people to go to the island to protest um yeah in like we said they get there in, like, an hour with, like, easily 100 to 200 people. And somehow they have torches when they arrive. And they have torches. <laughs> Flaming torches. And this, that is the most insane part of this movie. Because, this... like, what are they even protesting in this scenario? I know. Well, this was a thing where I was, like, up to this point, I was like, this movie's not funny and they're doing it wrong. But I think that the uh, the the writer is trying to do a, like, even, like, white liberals are racist and, like, this is what black people have to deal with kind of thing. And, it and like, yep. Amos, or Andrew is the straight one. He's the one who is, like, you know, sophisticated and calm and all this stuff. And, but then they bring in these black characters who are obviously supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah. Like, just kind of just undermine like, that whole... Yeah. Like, they're mean... Like, he wants to be on TV. Like, he's supposed to be a Jesse Jackson type character. For sure. He's a reverend. And he's very sort of flamboyant. He wears a loud suit. Um, he he does sort of the, like, Baptist preacher patter, like, when he talks. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's clearly, like, mocking them. And it it's just like, oh, now this is just... And then when they come in with also their torches... <laughs> They burn the house down and they're, then they say, well, like, I, I told them not to be, you know, yeah. just kind of like... They're the ones who do, burn down the house at the end. And then they just leave. They're like, wow, we they're gotta, just gotta like, get oh, out of here. Oh, shit. And then they, they run off. And it was like, oh, man. What a bummer. Again, huge bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot emphasize enough how much of a bummer this movie was. Um... Yeah, but th- th- when the house burns down, uh, they aren't in the house because they've left a long time ago and ended up at the rich neighbor's house uh, and snooping through their house. Yeah, they just, yeah, just this to is... clarify, they, like, once the police chief goes in there, they somehow overpower him and mm-hmm. tape him to a chair and they sneak out the back door and then they get over to the rich lawyer's house and the rich lawyer and his wife aren't home because they're, like snooping on the press situation and looking yeah. at what's going on at the other house. Yeah. Um, there is, when they, I'd say the only satisfying moment of this movie is when Samuel Jackson punches the police chief. <laughs> and he has a great line, which I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I can't, but worth a Google. Um, you should look up the song because it's in the <laughs> we song. We haven't gotten to the song. We'll get to the song. Um, yeah, so then they, they spend half of this movie just hanging out in these people's house with their very cute dog. Um, dog The dog is the Andrew. real true star of the movie. Yes, it is very loyal to Andrew. Um, then they just, like, trade stories about their childhoods, talk about sea monkeys. And, like, somewhere around this point, we paused because I had to go to the bathroom. And when we paused, we realized we'd been watching the movie for an hour. <laughs> And we thought we had been watching the movie for at least two hours at this point. <laughs> yep. I was like, okay, what do we, how much time we... We have 37 minutes it's left? It's not a long movie. <laughs> it's, it's not. pretty it's... close to like 90 minutes-ish. Yeah. 
But it felt it long. It feels so long. It felt long. Um, yeah. So they're just sort of off, you know, monologuing in this other house. Um, neighbors come back. They kink shame them for their BDSM gear. Oh, yeah, because they find... They're looking for the keys to the car in their bedroom for some reason and all of the drawers and you get to see Nicolas Cage's character being real creepy and sniffing underwear. Yeah. It was very funny to me that he was like sniffing the lady's underwear and then when they found dildos was like, ew. (laughs) I was like, dude, you can't judge anyone for what they like because you are a fucking creep. Um... Yeah, and so eventually, I don't know, the people get back. They call, he calls and orders a pizza. I think the plan was he was going to take the car, the truck. Take the car, but it's this girl comes on a moped to deliver it. And she is 17. And, and there's a. Completely smitten with him. So into it. So into the whole greaseball thing. And they're like flirting and. Oh man, I hate I hated watching I hated that. It. Yeah, hated it. he tries to kiss her. Yeah, you. I said, why would anyone go for that? And you said, well, it's like the Manson girls. And I went, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird weird ladies out there who are into the whole criminal thing. Yes, this woman clearly all of these crazy serial killers after... end up getting married after they're in prison. Like, yes, all the time to women like this, I yeah. guess. But yeah, she says she's 17, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and she does just end up leaving. She gives him her phone number. She gives him, he tries to kiss her. She does, Thankfully, she dodges it, but then writes her phone number on his hand, and I was like, girl, he's Stop. trying to run to Canada. What is he going to do with his phone number? <laughs> uh, and then she kisses him on the cheek, and he like... <laughs> He like wipes <laughs> wipes the kiss off and then like wipes it on his lips and I went no, <laughs> um, yeah that all happens in there for some reason and also when that happens we see the SWAT team come in because a nineties movie eighties nineties movies love to SWAT, love team. SWAT teams it's we should hilarious. also say that the lawyer and his wife are back at the house by this point they are. They are. They did make it back. They're, they're hostages now. Also. They are hostages bound up in their own BDSM gear. Oh, one part that is interesting is that there's like a tape that has been this like um, yeah. Chekhov's tape that's been floating around where this like, I don't know, it, freelance has, yeah, the old free- press man who's trying to get a scoop at the beginning interviewed them when they thought it was just like a break in before all this, before it blew up. Um, and they're explaining like, oh, the, the lawyer says on the tape, if you see a black man with arms full of stereo equipment on this island, then you know what's going on. Right. So we, that tape got taken away by the police officer. It also has the police chief talking about, um, the whole situation too. So it becomes very clear that, you know. Yeah. It's not what they've been saying. Yes. So the police chief took the tape away illegally. And then they took the tape from him for some reason, and then they're playing it at the lawyer's house. And that's when Andrew realizes what has happened mm-hmm. fully. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. They scuffle around for a while. They try to take the car. Um, they. I don't stuff understand happens. why in this movie, Andrew, once he realizes that Amos isn't going to kill anybody. Yeah. Why he doesn't just go back to the house. Why didn't he just beat the shit out of him and walk away? 
I don't know. Because there's definitely a certain moment where he realizes that Amos is not going to hurt anybody. Yes, he says it. And like, he exploits it. Amos with, is like, like the, holding the, the gun on the neighbors and he's Andrew's like, like he's not going to shoot you because he can't shoot anybody. He doesn't have it in him. And when he realized that, why didn't he just walk away? Why didn't he just turn around and walk out? Probably good he didn't because they probably would have shot him. Well, once, like, like I said, once all of the press and stuff was there, yeah. I don't think that they could have gotten away with it, especially if he just walked in off the road. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, not coming out of the house, but walking up to the house and being like, hey, I'm alive, like, yeah. with all of these cameras. Right. No, absolutely. That should have went. They should have done that. There was no reason for him to keep. I guess there's no out. way that he knows that all of the press is there. Yeah, they don't really know what's going on. In fact, there. they thought that the police were going to be outside of the lawyer's house. Well, that's true. So, and they weren't. Yeah, it's so, a flimsy, like, flimsy reason to keep them in the house together. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess if he doesn't realize how many people are now crowded around his house, maybe yeah. that makes sense. But yeah. Um, oh, another part that was genuinely funny to me in this film was the hostage negotiator. Oh my god, the hostage <laughs> negotiator was very, very funny. I don't know the name of that actor, but you, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I'll try to find it. Um, and he just has, there's this great bit where, like, as the police chief is, like, bound in the house to a chair, and everyone thinks that a- Amos and Andrew are still in the house with him, um, the hostage negotiator is just, like, talking, he's, like, monologuing. On the answering machine, um, and talking about his own childhood and like all of the things that went wrong with his own childhood and how he wanted a pony growing up, but all they got him were turtles. His name is Bob Balaban. That's Bob Balaban. That's Bob Balaban. He was in so many things. He's in the Monuments Men. He's in Moonrise Kingdom. He's in the French Dispatch. He was in Best oh, in Show. He's in a lot of Wes Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I feel like he was a judge on one of the many sort of mm. crimey courtroom shows that I used to watch. Maybe yeah. Boston Legal was one of my favorites. And I think he was a judge on Boston Legal, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's he's funny in this. It's a funny bit. Um, One of the few. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there's, like, two monologues that I just want to briefly mention that happened in the house, and these are the childhood stories they're swapping, right? And the first one, which we found hilarious, was the sea monkey one. The sea monkey one was so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. It wasn't even, like, sad. I think it was supposed to be sad. I think it was supposed, think to, it was be supposed like, to be, like, he grew up poor, he didn't yeah. have great parents, um... He wasn't really, like, he didn't have love, and he didn't know how to take care of things, right? I think that was supposed to be. But it was just this, like, rambling bit about how he wanted pets growing up, and he couldn't have pets. His daddy wouldn't even buy him sea monkeys. And Andrew's like, what are sea monkeys? Which which is a fair question. Um, I feel like he would have known what sea monkeys are. Maybe it's a real white person thing. Sea monkeys feel very white. Sea monkeys do feel really white. It's a scam that I white people like would fall for. I feel like everybody knows what sea monkeys are, right? Everyone, I don't. I think everyone's heard the term sea monkeys. I bet most people don't know what they are. I'm gonna put a poll on this podcast okay, that nobody will know is coming until they listen to the podcast. <laughs> they won't have any context, and I'll just be like, "Do you know what sea monkeys are? Yes or no?" They're brine shrimp. Is what they are, it, right? Yes. You put water in them, and it's sort of like I don't even want to know if like people know that they're brine shrimp. I just want to know that people, like, 
know about the existence of sea monkeys. Well, but I think it's important to know the difference between the marketing of sea monkeys and what sea monkeys are actually. Especially for this monologue. Yes. Because he talks about how happy the sea monkeys look in the ads. They and do. They the do ads look so great. And they, I, remember, I thought that they, when I was growing up, because we didn't have sea monkeys, I thought they were like seahorses. They don't look like seahorses in the pictures. Uh, but for some reason, that's what I thought. Well, they have sort of little tails, right? They have sort of little tails, but they have like eyes on top of little, like... Uh, stems like a snail in the pictures sure i feel like could be but i also remember seeing my sister had sea monkeys at one point and in the little book that came with them there was instructions on how to teach them how to play baseball (laughs) 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 oh no Sea monkeys are Which one we of the never greatest did, but, scams. Uh, yeah. Because all these people bought these things and they are just little brine shrimp that one just our, float around and do nothing. One of our best friends in college had sea monkeys. Yes, in, he did. In Shout out to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, he loves sea monkeys. Shout out to Jeff and his sea monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a band. That's a band name right Jeff there. And the sea Jeff monkeys. and the sea monkeys. Yeah, if Way to Whales ever falls apart, <laughs> Jeff and the sea monkeys is the next one. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a wild scam, and, and people still fall for it. But, yeah, he goes on about, and then he, when he finally got sea monkeys, he just, they just look like cloudy water. He doesn't even something. have way to whales anymore. He's good reference now. Yeah, you're right. I, like, totally <laughs> did the wrong bit. correct you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, so he has this monologue about sea monkeys, and then, uh, Andrew has a genuinely good monologue about, like, because... One of the things Amos keeps saying is you are a black man that acts white because he's educated, right? Like, that's sort of the... I guess. I don't know. He's you can't like, hear my eyes rolling yeah, in my head right now. <laughs> Brittany's but... eyes are rolling so hard that she's, like, looking back at the gremlin in her brain. <laughs> like, can you believe this shit? And the gremlin in my brain is screaming. <laughs> it's screaming because it was so... Yeah, it was just, like, a lot of, like, oh, well, you... you Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a lot of stuff you've heard before. Um... And so he gave this really great, it was a good delivery too, where he talks about his father being an accountant and like not wanting him to sound black and, and like basically like trying to act white. And then like when he died, none of the people he worked with cared. Um, yeah, there were no white people. At there were no funeral. white people at his funeral, all the stuff. He just worked and worked and worked and then died. And I mean, like great delivery. I mean, it's fine. Um, yeah, so those are so sea monkeys versus racism, <laughs> same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, and I don't know. Stuff I feel happens. like they. Yeah, there was a lot of false equivalencies. In yes, this movie. there was. I think that's one of the big. Yeah, I think that was the cringiest thing in this movie is that they kept trying to say that the experiences of this like poor low class white guy were similar to the experiences of this well-off yeah black guy yeah that we've we've both had to deal with a lot of shit and so we're basically and it's like no we're equals we're the same no it's not the same you (laughs) obviously um and that yeah well because then there's this like they get in that fight and he says, yeah, the reason that he punches him is because he says he's the whitest black guy he's ever met. Yeah. And then Samuel Jackson punches him. Yes. And then they have a brawl in the yard. Yeah. And this is what was super... I think that this movie is doing, like, early 90s woke-ism, which is, like, recognize... 
there's like, oh, there's bad, there's like purposeful bad racism. And then there's just like funny white people racism. Like they're, they're Mm -hmm. saying they're like two different things. And now we're like, this is all racism. The problem too is I think that we're supposed to agree with anything that Nicolas Cage says about anything because later on when their fight kind of dies down Samuel L. Jackson says you might be right about a lot of things about me but you're not right that I should be able to like set up a stereo system in my own house without getting badgered by the police so I think you're supposed to think that maybe Nick Cage's character has a point because at no point does he ever have a point the point that he was trying to make when they were fighting was that when he had broken it, when he first went into the house, um, Andrew was like, are you coming? Did someone send you after me because of the stuff that I write? Because of the play I wrote and because I am a black activist. Did someone send you after me? And he's like, no. Um, so at the end, he's like, it's not some grand conspiracy like to come after you because you're black. It's not because of the color of your skin. It was just because of this like minor comedic racism i guess like that's what it didn't make sense to me i was like they're yeah, not different things there was yeah it's it's not a different thing. it's not a different thing the point should be like even if people don't know who i am and the kind of work i do it doesn't matter because the stuff is happening because he's a black guy yes exactly so when samuel jackson is like you might be right i'm like he is not right <laughs> don't back down <laughs> this grease ball is wrong uh, yeah, I mean, like, that, I think that was supposed to be the, like, oh, you're right, I'm too, too, what, woke? Too, too aware of being black? Yeah, I, Ugh. that, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Oh, and one of the other things was not when Nick Cage was saying he was too white, he was like, I bet you have a white wife. I bet you have this, like, skinny little hot white wife because that's what rich black guys do. Oh, yeah, and the twist is that he actually he has, has a, a black wife. A black wife! Yeah, and it was like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, there's more. There's, like, a weird bit where they get these bloodhounds to ch- to f- try and track them down, and it's very much like a slave catcher reference. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, this guy comes in in this getup that looks like he's from, like, Alabama in the 1850s. Like, it, that part was terrible. And he had these two bloodhounds, and they're chasing him through this field. And that field. was supposed to be for laughs. That was supposed that to be was for supposed laughs. To... It was terrifying it was awful yeah so he's being chased by by these dogs through this field and nick cage uh helps him somehow yeah because he has the car of the lawyer and so he scoops him up Mm-hmm. i don't know how they get off the island <sighs> they get around somehow they get to the ferry somehow they and get they to the ferry, the, they ferry. Get on the ferry yeah they don't yeah uh and what happened with the lawyer they just exposed him, right? Not the they, lawyer, the uh, sheriff. The sheriff gets chased. <laughs> Remember the bloodhounds? Oh, that's right. That's how bloodhounds work. That's how work. bloodhounds work. <laughs> so the bloodhounds, they get up on the back of the car, and there's this whole thing of, like, the dog. dogs just love Andrew. Yeah. And so they get up on the back of the car, and Amos is like... These bloodhounds are killers. They're just here to hunt people for sport and whatever. And Andrew has the police badge because yeah. Amos stole it off of him. And he's like sitting on the back of the car and he get he's like, "Here, boys, sniff it, sniff, sniff this police badge." And then he's like, "Go get him!" And then the police, the bloodhounds go after the police chief. Yes, 
And they did deliver the tape back to... Yeah, the, the pizza the, girl. The free, the oh, the, yes, the pizza girl takes it to the strange the press guy. man. The strange freelance man and gives it to him. So we assume that He's that He's like, this exposed. could be a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> we assume that they expose the sheriff um, in his racism. I'm sure that he got elected anyway. And uh, um, <laughs> Andrew's house gets burned down, but he does get reunited by his, with his wife. Yeah, and so I that's assume nice. that Amos gets to Canada. I assume so. He we he, see he him goes off in the car that he stole. We see him pulling out of a gas station in the car that he stole on a a, a, a highway that's clearly in like North Carolina and not in Massachusetts. Um, and that is the end. That's the movie. That's the movie. It's so bad. Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, listen. Um, um, how cagey is this movie? Not very. Not really. Not really. Like, despite the fact that he's playing this character that seems like a fit for a Nicolas Cage, he isn't that interesting or, like, big. Like, he doesn't do a lot of, like... There's, like, one moment that I did laugh. Yeah, we did that. I can't even remember what was happening, but he's, like, very exaggerated, and he rolls his head around. Yeah, I think it's when he like, first, like... <laughs> I think it's when he first like breaks into Andrew's house. I think you're right. He does some pretty wild stuff because he's supposed to be he's supposed to be like scary um, Andrew, so he does get a little cagey there. But otherwise, it's... no, he's pretty much normal. Yeah, it's just sort of yeah. Um, so the ratings for this movie? Yes. On Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score. Do you want to guess? Ooh, ooh, ooh. It's critic score. The I'm going to score... say 15%. Oh, you're very close. It's 17%. Okay. And the audience score is 31%. Oof. Nobody likes this, no movie. likes this movie. Rightfully so. Yeah. It's a bad movie. It's yeah. It's not even really very fun to watch. Right. And I said, when we after we watched it, I was like, is this supposed to be like... Was this woke for 1993? Like, was this 1993 like they thought this was a really good look at race. Yeah, because definitely I've confirmed that some of the Rotten Tomatoes scores are from recent reviews, even when they're older movies. Yes. Um, Yeah. So I found the reception section of the Wikipedia article on this movie. Good. And Roger Ebert, rest his soul, R.I.P., gave the film two out of four stars, which is higher than it deserved. But he did, I think, hit the nail on the head with the lines that Wikipedia pulled out from his review. Um, He said that Amos and Andrew, quote, is not bad so much as misguided, unquote, due to its comedic treatment of issues such as racism, racial injustice, and police brutality, suggesting that, quote, the movie needs to either be, the needs to be the movie needs to be either more innocent about race in America or less. Mm-hmm. It portrays an unpleasant situation, then treats it with sitcom tactics. Either the humor should have been angrier and more hard-edged, or the filmmakers should have backed away from the situation altogether. Um, yeah. And then Vincent Canby, I don't know this uh, critic, said, the film's roots are not in life, but in other better movies and sitcoms. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Burn. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, yeah, so yeah, even Roger in 1993, Ebert. they were like, this ain't it. Yeah, they didn't like it even then. And I was thinking, because, like, obviously, one of the things that's super <laughs> a bummer, uh, which is our one-word review, this, this film is a bummer. <laughs> that's what the, I'll make a movie poster that says, bummer. Amos and Andrew, quote, a bummer. <laughs> um, 
is that like the things that they're talking about in the film, um, police violence against unarmed black men, um, and police incompetence and corruption is still very relevant today. Like obviously. Mm, yeah. And that's one of the things that's uncomfortable. Not that it's happening more now, but I feel like it's more relevant than ever. Yes, yeah. It's certainly like more people are at least we're talking more aware about of it, it more. And I was thinking about um the great horror film Tales from the Hood, nineteen ninety five, um, which is an <laughs> anthology film. And I mean, like, it's dated in some ways. There's yeah. some stuff that's pretty uncomfortable in it, but mostly it gets it right. And they have a section on police violence in that, and it still is really good. And, like, it's... Even though there's a lot of comedic moments in that movie, that short is really rough to watch. Um, and I think they do a really good job. So, instead, watch Tales from the Hood. That's my advice. <laughs> there we go. Um... My yeah. suggestion is watch literally any other movie. Literally any other movie. If you want to watch a better... Just watch Get Out. If you want to watch a better... Yeah, watch Get Out if you want to watch a movie about how white liberals are uh, bad. Uh, <laughs> if you want to watch a better Samuel L. Jackson movie, watch Snakes on a Plane a hundred times. Yeah, just a hundred times. Just It'll watch it over and over again and you'll have a better time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's rough. And I mean, like... If you want to watch Should a better uh, Nicolas Cage movie, maybe watch the one that we're going to watch for next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, I mean, like, we should have known from the title, Amos and Andy. Yeah. I guess we didn't really talk about, yeah. if you don't know the historical context of Amos and Andy, uh, it was a very racist vaudevillian radio show that got turned into a TV show in the 50s. And I just learned that the TV show got pulled off the air because of protests, but the radio show continued to go for another, like, seven or eight years mm-hmm. um, after the TV show got pulled for being too racist in the 50s. Yeah. So. And the television show starred two black actors, but in the radio show it was two white guys mm-hmm. doing the voices of Amos and Andy. Um and they do nod to that in the movie. Samuel L. Jackson, of course, knows the history of Amos yes. and Andy. Because at one point, Amos, Nicolas Cage Amos in the movie, says, We're Amos and Andrew. And he says, Don't say our names together. <laughs> <laughs> like, what does? I feel terrible like line. It, that should have come up earlier in the movie yes, than this. And they should have explained it. They should have explained it because they don't explain it at yes. all. Yes. They should have, like, they just earlier... They know that history. Like, a great moment would have been if Nick Cage cracked a, like, Amos and Andy joke, and Samuel Jackson corrected him and was like, do you understand how racist that was? And that could have been, like, a moment, right? But yeah. instead, like, it, we don't get... Yeah. <sighs> do people know about... I'm going to do a second poll. Do people know about Amos and Andy? Because <laughs> I knew about oh. it from media studies in college. I, I would not have heard about it if I had not taken those classes. I knew the name, and I knew that it was a, I thought, racist radio show. Yeah. Is what I knew. And I didn't learn about it in class. I think I just have absorbed it through pop culture and through, like, I've done some study of, like, radio Well, and 30 history. Rock has a joke about it. Yes, they too. do. Yeah. That's, yeah. And I think, like, a Key and Peele also have a sketch that sort of... yeah. The funeral sketch uh, yeah. is alluding to, like, an Amos and Andy type show. Um, so I sort of knew of it, but didn't know the details. Yeah. But I bet most people wouldn't know what it was. Right. I mean, like, that's a, at this point, 70-year-old joke. Yeah. 70-year-old thing that 
no one wants to talk about. (laughs) And then they made this film, so we would continue to not want to talk about it. (laughs) Yep. Um, Great. Let's uh, move on to... Let's move on. Inside the cage. Inside the cage. (laughs) (laughs) And this week on Inside the Cage, we have some maybe exciting news. So exciting. Fingies crossed. If it happens. Um, because one of the greatest Nicolas Cage films of all time, Face Off, might be getting a sequel. And before you get too excited, they've been talking about doing a sequel to this movie for at least 10 years. But there's new news from, like, two days, 15 hours ago, something yes. like that. Um, because, uh, what's the name of the guy? Adam Wingard, the director, um, who did Godzilla vs. Kong. And also did The Guest, which is, like, a really low-budget, like, I don't know, horror film that I do recommend, but it's very different from Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> um, I'm looking at an article about this right now yeah. in, in Related. Yeah. It says, Pedro Pascal, eager to join Nicolas Cage in Face Off 2. <laughs> I would lose my mind. How insane. If those two faced off, oh my god. That's it. That's it. That's the movie. Um, yeah, so he's writing, he's working on a script. He's been given permission to work on the script for the sequel, says he wants to bring back Nicolas Cage for it, which if you've seen the movie is, you know, would be interesting to see how they do that. Um. Nicolas Cage has been really cagey about this, by the way. Ayo. Because he said while he was promoting the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, he said that he would be up to return for a sequel. In one interview, he revealed that there had been, quote, some phone calls and that Face Off 2 was a, quote, maybe, which was in contrast to an interview before that with The Hollywood Reporter, where he claimed to have not heard hide nor hair of a sequel. But in the same interview, he did say that such a movie would have to be a sequel and not a remake. Yes. I think what has happened is probably a lot of people have been like, let's do Face Off two it like but like like shitty directors and like you know have been like let's do face off two and like nicholas cage isn't interested no one's interested the studio's not interested in funding it but now that we are in the cage um they're willing to throw money at a well-known director to actually work on it so which would be cool which would be great i would love to see that what would you want to have happen in face off two Oh my god. If if it happens, yeah. here's what I'm proposing we do. Um, I've done this thing before that was a ripoff of a Jenny Nicholson who's like a YouTube personality thing where uh-huh. she made a bingo thing for a Star Wars movie <gasps> yes. and then played bingo of like things that she thought might happen in yeah. the Star Wars movie. Yeah. If Face Off 2 happens, we need to do a big Face Off 2 bingo. Yes. And uh, absolutely, it'll be a big deal. We'll do like a live stream bingo. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> um, yes, because I... we'll rent out a theater. We'll invite all ten of our listeners to uh, yeah <laughs> to the rent out a theater us. for all ten of you. <laughs> we'll watch Face Off too. I feel like it has to be like their kids or grandkids, right? Something's gonna happen with them, and they're gonna have to so face get off pulled back in leaves off Nick Cage is dead right yeah he's dead he's dead and John Travolta uh he's but his they, family's okay if they bring him back they're gonna have to retcon the death yes yeah 
and they really want to bring him back. In fact, I haven't seen anything about like is John Travolta no going to be in Face Off too? No one come back. <laughs> um, all I've seen is is Nick Cage going to be in Face Off? At the end, too? John Travolta's when we start off again, John Travolta's character is still stuck in Nicolas Cage face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but do you remember the weird, freaky ending of Face Off? No, because it's been a long time since I've seen it. All right, so and I've been holding off because I want to watch. We're it gonna watch it again, for obviously, podcast. for the podcast at some point in the yeah. future. But there's a weird, freaky ending of Face Off that I'm remembering mostly because I listened to the How Did This Get Made about Face Off, mm, yeah. and I talk about it there. But Let's at watch. the end of Face Off, the ending of Face Off makes no sense <laughs> because they have. Uh, John Travolta's in his house with his cute little family and whatever, yeah. and he's in the bathroom and he looks in the mirror, and for a second he sees Nicolas Cage's face in the mirror. Yes. And then it, like, flashes and it's and then it's just his face, but we have no idea what he saw in the mirror or right. what that was about. Right. So they could do something... Like, maybe his face just transforms back into <laughs> Nicolas Cage for, like, you know, blurry, <laughs> nobody knows science reasons. Because they certainly yeah. yada, yada, yada through a lot of the science. I that hope that Nicolas Cage plays a completely different character who somehow has gotten the Nicolas Cage face put on his face. <laughs> they dig up Nicolas Cage's body. Like, his face was and then preserved. They put, yeah, they preserved his face. <laughs> and they dig him up, and then they're like, we need this face. And so they put that face on a completely different person. Makes as much sense as anything else. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> sure. Yeah, so that's uh, big big news in Cage this week, is the possibility of a face-off, too. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew. Awesome. Well, next week, we've got a very special treat. We're doing Con Air. Woo! Woo, Con Air! It's what you've all been waiting it's for. It's what I've been waiting for. It's what <laughs> you've all been waiting for. And uh, I think we're going to try to do, like, an Instagram live thing of it. So, um, hope you tune in for that. Yeah. So, we'll give you more information about when we're going to do it. Um, if you want to watch along or just watch us m- talk for a while. <laughs> talk for a while about Con Air. So, you can re-watch Con Air. Yeah, rewatch fresh. Con Air. Watch Con Air at the same time as we do. <gasps> yes. Maybe we can live tweet it. Oh my god, I'll live tweet it. Yes. I live tweet horror movies all the time. I'll just do this one. <laughs> Alright, awesome. Yeah, uh, so tune in with us. We'll watch Con Air sometime great. soon. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Great. Follow us, so, on, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on your favorite social media platform. We look forward to uh, Con Airing with you soon. Absolutely. And uh, that's that's all she wrote. So, bye. Bye. You can check my blackness fact. Cause I'm rough as a cactus. Now I gotta check.